Welcome to Launch Codes, the podcast about marketing operations, artificial intelligence, and more. Each week, you'll hear from experts as they share insights, stories, and strategies. Welcome to Episode 7. I'm your host, Joe Peters. On today's episode, marketers won't let cloudy economy rain on their parade. Second, Marketo's dynamic chat expands its vocabulary. Third, a community question. And in our hot takes, the tribe has spoken and A-B testing effective or egocentric. Today, I'm joined by Lauren McCormick. What are you excited about discussing this week, Lauren? We got a whole table full of stuff to choose from this week. I'm pretty excited to talk about the new mutiny campaign, but also dynamic chat. All right. Well, let's move into our first topic. Marketers more optimistic, even as budgets fall. So there is a CMO study released by Deloitte. And in that study, uh, they, just in fall 2023, fairly senior respondent profile, there was optimism for the U.S. economy and that it has increased to 66.7% up from 577 a year ago. This level of optimism is back in line with both pre- and post-pandemic highs. And despite renewed optimisms, company are now, uh, companies are now spending a smaller portion of their budget on marketing. The report attributes this drop to inflationary pressures. So there's an, another quote here that I'll do, and then I'll get your takes on it, Lauren. Demonstrating the impact of marketing actions on financial outcomes continues to be the top challenge for marketing leaders. Marketers experience less pressure from CEOs and boards while receiving more scrutiny from CFOs. So what do you think about this, Lauren? I, I, I love that last one on the CFO pressure because we've all felt that from uh, time to time. But what do you think about the optimism? I love the optimism. I think it's a natural function of revenue. Um, the CFO attention is a natural, a natural function of revenue uh, becoming its own discipline um, these days. The the uh, the age of the CRO, I think, is reflected here. In that, um, you know, I I've always sought for marketing to have a seat at the revenue table, a la Maria Pergolino's CMO leadership over Marketo in like the 2012-2013 timeframe. Um, but I've, I've been the weird, unique uh, soul that likes leaning into a number. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting that the optimism perhaps is a function of finally owning your financial destiny as a marketer. Instead of waiting for your budget to be handed to you, now we're doing regression analysis and predictive analytics to figure out how far that money is going to go um, so that we can control our own destiny to some degree, you know? Yeah, this challenge is the age-old challenge of marketing, though, is proving your worth and That's right. what is your ROI here? And we know the things that are near and dear to our heart have made an impact there. But what I loved about this is I really do feel like the optimism is truly there compared to last year at this time. Me too. Last year at this time, our general feeling that we sort of had was the brakes had been pumped and there was some concern about where we were going economically. For sure. And watching venture capital just immediately just tighten its its belt and, and completely, you know, reverse course around 
um, you know, LTV and ARR, you know, diminished as, as even conversation topics into, you know, immediate um, you know, ROAS and ROI and, and, you know, profitability, which was an interesting phrase to bring up in Silicon Valley around like, you know, <laughs> those valuations yeah, those valuations yeah. were out of control. No, no, no. Yeah. It was, it was not a topic people wanted to discuss was profitability, but I think there was definitely a feeling this time last year of kind of standing on the edge of, you know, some kind of big cliff and i think now that we've we've kind of navigated what that that slope looks like what what the the steepness is of the angle and where the bottom looks to be i think it's a little less mysterious and there's room for optimism now yeah for sure this study is super interesting on a variety of different areas and i Highly would recommend um, having a look and, and digging into some of the data because we're only touching on a couple of elements. But some additional points of interest that we saw in it was that 60% of respondents started using AI within the last year, which is no surprise to us, especially when it's focused on the content creation and uh, other asset creation. Um, and with personalization in there a little bit as well. And so for something that was in the field just uh, in early August, uh, late July, you know, this kind of resonates uh, with what we're seeing in terms of people starting to dip their toe in, aren't we, Lauren? I find it, I find it um, interesting that AI is on the, the docket, but then the notion of digital marketing transformation, as old and moldy a topic as that is, is... <laughs> Is still like how would you rate your digital marketing transformation? Are we sending postcards? Who's sending the postcards? Please yeah. tell me in the comments. I need to know. It's it's interesting though. Um, uh, honestly, when when I do uh, meet with different clients and prospects to see the level of adoption, maybe they've got the tech, but are you are you using it to its potential, or even are you using it to its its basic entry? point of of you know its capacity or or where are you at i guess the full transformation is still underway in some organizations but oh for sure i would say yeah. we're probably still in that those early days of experimentation yeah and well i think that's a great segue into our next topic on in terms of experimentation which is Adobe Marketo's engage the new dynamic chat and i know you've had a chance to look under the hood a little bit here. But last week, Adobe Marketo team released a new set of tutorials for dynamic chat. This follows updates that were released last month that brought in many new free and premium features. And so these features include live chat with sales agents, conversational forms that collect additional lead information to book meetings and improved analytics and visibility. And then the premium features uh, included Adobe Sensei a, a Gen AI. That's a real tongue twister. Uh, smartless targeting, and then team-based and account-based routing. So, what are your first takes on this, Lauren? So, I was an early adopter in the Lighthouse program um, a couple years ago for Dynamic Chat, but prior to that, was a super big fan of Qualified, and uh, thought their team. Uh, did a wonderful job building a product. I think the most interesting part of the qualified story to me was that they were Salesforce 
developers gone, uh, you know, web chat uh, leadership, right? So they made sure everything baked in really nicely to CRM. What the interesting proposition I think here is from Adobe is that your chat's going to be naturally an extension of your marketing automation platform. Um, I like the fact that they're catching up to some of the feature functionality that Qualified had that um, I missed when I was a, a lighthouse um, kind of early adopter. It was cool that I had it for free, just native in my, uh, you know, marketing automation. Um, certainly made it easier to justify uh, standing up uh, a tool. Well, it, it, it definitely opens a door for a lot of support requests, for a lot of noise. You know, if you're not careful in the way that you help people choose their own adventure uh, with your chatbot, and we we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know what kind of volume we would see. We knew based on Google Analytics what our site volume looked like, and and we had an idea uh, of of the pages that we could test on that would be maybe less traffic to to ease into the world of the chat. Um, but what's what's super interesting to me is now the the Adobe product is uh, has the drop your coffee alert. So basically, if, if you've got a target um, prospect, that, that's what they called it, it qualified was the drop your coffee yeah. alert. If you have a target um, account and your primary decision maker happens to be kicking around on your website and fill out, you know, fills out a chat form, then the rep, the AE who's responsible for that relationship will get a notification and can uh, jump right in. And yeah. instead of serve, you know, the canned responses or have the BDR field, this really, you know, high value interaction, you can, you can have the person most, um, most the closest to the, the knowledge of the account and right there in, in the conversation, which is pretty cool. The generative right. AI is interesting. I, I, I think that's cool too, but Joe, I know you've got some pretty high standards for what you want to see. Well, yeah, like I think in, uh, Adobe has a lot of work to catch up here in terms of where they're at with Marketo and where, say, HubSpot is with their ChatSpot um, uh, dynamic chat uh, elements within the, the HubSpot, HubSpot platform. I think what we're seeing here is some movement, and hopefully it's continued moving in the direction here. But you know, there's no, there's you're you're not training uh, the, a, an AI on uh, your marketing information or your sales information. It's not going to be responding based on your uh, knowledge uh, resources. It's really going to be back into those workflow things that you know we're not. Uh, these are old approaches to some of these challenges and aren't really. Uh, advancing where things can and probably should be today. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you can have AI help your BDR have a better conversation, though. So Marketo used the example, you know, of of its own drinking its own champagne and having a BDR on a, a chat with um, a health prospect, a healthcare prospect, and you know, uh, having. The, the healthcare prospect asked if Marketo was HIPAA compliant, right? And maybe the BDR doesn't even quite know what HIPAA is, but the generative AI sure does and can tell you what you need to know so that you can give the right information to your prospect or, you know, about can spam or, you know, any kind of compliance or uh, 
integration with CRMs other than maybe Salesforce. Maybe they've never heard of MS Dynamics, but um, yeah. AI is able to help uh, direct the answer to the question, which is pretty handy. Yeah, and I think, you know, though I like to see the progress, so that's important. But I think it's a long way from HubSpot's claim of saying it can respond to about 76% of all inquiries, wow. which is a yeah. huge number, right? So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here, and hopefully there's more uh, news to come in the weeks and, and months ahead. And hopefully there's a little bit of love taken away from some of the real creative investments that... Uh, Adobe has been making is with Firefly and maybe giving a little bit of love to some of the other platforms in terms of the generative capabilities. But yeah. all right, well, let's slide into our community question for this week. And the question that we have from MoPros is I took over a two person RevOps team. How do we prioritize an intake? Oh, sorry, how we prioritize an intake feels broken. How do you prioritize the entire workload and structure your teams day to day? It's a great question. I've been in those shoes before. <clears throat> I was the second hire in our marketing ops team at one point for uh, a Bay Area tech company. And the gentleman that brought me on board, kindest uh, soul, uh, said yes to everything and had a graveyard of a Trello board. And, <laughs> and, you know, I came in and I looked, I looked at it and I said, what are we, what are we doing here? Where do I start? Some of this stuff is three or four years old. And he's like, oh, we, we just put stuff there to make people feel better about the requests. It's, oh, wow. it, I don't even remember what some of this stuff is. And so, uh, we took the org from that state of affairs into a situation where it was automated to the point of giving field marketers and um, product marketers and any anybody in the extended marketing team that required um, a request, we gave them a form and it went and uh, used iPass, right, to populate tokens in Marketo program templates. And then we had another uh, piece of tech that would uh, generate a draft outside of the platform so no one could accidentally spam our, you know, 3 million people in our database. But it would send a draft to, um, you know, the stakeholders responsible and if they wanted to change their quotation or adjust a title or, you know, put an M dash in somewhere, we didn't have to fuss with it. But when they reviewed and approved it, it would go through a necessary review and approval chain outside of the platform, come back to us ready for us to give the final okay, pop it with the click of a button into the template. And uh, at the end of my, my tenure there, we would joke, um, this gentleman and I, that we were automating him out of a job because we had everything down to uh, you know, a, fine, a, a fine art, really. Um, but at the beginning, I think it, it's easy to dream like that and think about what you could do with infrastructure and tech to, to really get things automated. In the beginning, I think it's just sensibility around what you what you accept. Like yeah, what standards you, you do the, your prioritization, or what are your guiding principles? So level set expectations and expect people to come to you fully prepared with um, 
the the necessary elements for the campaign. Don't allow what I call random acts of slacking, (laughs) drive-by slackings. um, Like don't let people give you fractured information, have them hang on to it until it's fully baked and ready and make sure that there's training and enablement um, set up around SLAs and around requirements gathering so that people come to you with um, less ideas and more campaigns, right? The ideas are wonderful and you want to be at the the table for their creation and their inception and their definition, but sitting in a meeting and and kicking around ideas is not the same as handing off a project. And I don't think that would count as handing off a project in development terms, you know, for your, your development team. So why does it for marketers? Like, why are we okay with you know, fractured bits of, of, uh, and pieces of information coming to us over time. I think, uh, putting, make, making sure that it's understood that this is a shared responsibility, I think is, is, is really essential. Yeah, but, um, that area of the roles and responsibility and really you can often rely on process to support you right. when you're, you, you're not really equipped uh, to take on the scale and demand that exists within the organization. But if you can rely on the process, then you can meet the incoming requests in a a flow and in a queue that uh, is fair and transparent uh, to those that you're you're helping out. And then if you're you're RevOps, pivot from... What's happening? It's a concept that that it goes back to my days in solution selling. It's called nihito. Nothing important happens in the office, and that that's not a that wasn't a precursor for COVID and work from home or anything. It's it's just saying that what matters is what happens outside of your office. So release notes are great, feature functionality updates are wonderful, but those things aren't what keep your prospects and your clients up at night. Right. So talking about yourself and using your internal jargon around, you know, uh, what you're developing and what you're creating and what you're putting out into the universe really takes a a backseat in importance to how you're communicating with people on the other end of your campaigns. Right. How how human, how authentic, like are are you submitting um, to the requests of your org because you've always sent out four newsletters a month and did six webinars. How does that feel on the other side of the inbox, on the other side of the campaign? Is it just too much? And, and is it delivering value to them? You know, and when you stop and look at it through the receiver's eyes, instead of the senders, I think that shift will help you really backload and define your capacity around what story you're trying to tell, like how you're trying to compel an audience of human beings instead of just throwing campaigns out the door at, at, at anyone's and everyone's requests. Yeah, when you're seeing that with adding value for your internal team members or internal clients, but also adding value for the recipient is really the key to being successful in our business but that's right right, well let's let's thank our sponsors knack today thanks to our friends uh, at knack for sponsoring today's episode knack is the no code platform that allows you to build campaigns in minutes get perfectly rendered emails and landing pages without ever having to touch a line of code visit knack.com to learn more that's k-n-a-k.com All right, so let's move into our hot takes. And I know there's a couple here that we're excited about. There's a survivor campaign by Mutiny. 
Now, the way they spell it and the way I'm saying it, there's a little bit of a distinction. So they're spelling survivor S-U-R-V-A-I-V-O-R. Sir. So serve AI or I guess is the is the horrible way of saying it. But Survivor by Mutiny is a new thing that's come up and it's premiering this week. It's a three-week game involving workshops to learn AI workflows. So there are nine episodes for demand gen, SEO, content, strategy, and they have speakers from OpenAI, HubSpot, and Autodesk. And by attending the workshops and getting engaged, you earn points. And then each week they have some prizes with a 10K grand prize. So there was this great uh, comment on LinkedIn that I thought really summed it up. I don't often find myself envious of a B2B marketing campaign because honestly, most are crap. That said, I really love what Mutiny is doing with their survivor campaign and contest. First, they're giving away B2C type money, 10K, which always motivates people. And second, they are teaching marketers something incredibly valuable, how to leverage AI in their jobs. What do you think about this, Lauren? So I'm a huge fan. And I, uh, rather than trying to figure out how to pronounce it, I just call it that Mutiny Survivor Campaign. Um, <laughs> less taxing on the brain, but I was fortunate enough to participate on Friday in a growth marketing open call with uh, Ryan, who's the head of marketing at Mutiny, um, Alina from Chili Piper, and uh, you know about 70 other folks uh, globally. And we all just sat down and talked shop around campaigns that are, are uh, under construction or in flight. Um, it was a super call. And uh, it was awesome uh, that Ryan was able to to share a little bit of what he's doing over at the mutiny side of the house. And then uh, it was like the floodgates after the call uh, had opened. And suddenly I had, you know, SDRs and Ryan himself in my inbox uh, hyping up this campaign. And everywhere I looked, even on like clear bit friends of mine were, were posting about it. And uh, it went from zero to 60 pretty quick on my radar. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was able to log into the platform and look at the gamification structure and kind of interact. And um, they even had a, a point a system for uploading your AI enhanced headshot. So of course, that was fun for me uh, to get started. <laughs> But yeah, no, just really enjoying it and um, loved uh, giving feedback firsthand to, to the head of marketing over at Mutiny. Super enthused to see what this week holds. He even had a note in my inbox this morning, um, you know, which it love, love the direct line of contact. I think uh, marketing works best when it's one to many, but it feels one to one. And this certainly achieves that. Um, yeah. You know, the payoff is there in the gamification, the the delight. You know, it's so hard as a marketer to create delight in your prospects, but this is this is doing it. So very, very happy to see this campaign. Well, it goes back to what uh, Matt Tonkin and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago, about this idea of this hierarchy of content and campaigns and that innovative, hyper-creative stuff really breaks through and the me too kind of i can do this uh, following it's not going to generate the excitement or that just general i'm going to say boring content isn't going to resonate with communities or, or target audiences so i i just 
it immediately captured my interest and uh, and I, I know it captured yours and that's the sign of a great campaign and you're doing a great stuff so yeah uh, I'm sure we're going to see a million copycats of this now. That's right. But what's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting here, I think, to me is that mutiny is all about web personalization. And, um, you know, they're, they're drinking some of their own champagne here. They're showing us what, you know, uh, the benefits of personalized experiences can bring uh, to your pipeline. I'm going to be interested to hear in these future growth calls, which, by the way, are open open to anyone that might like to join. I think if you go to Alina's um, LinkedIn, you'll find the, the details. Um, I'll be interested to hear the revenue story, like how much pipeline this drives and how many conversations this gets started for them. Um, have always been a fan of their platform and, and love seeing AI and personalization pushing forward. Right? Yeah, I, the two thumbs up on this campaign. And Agreed. regardless of actually how it performs, the buzz is enough of an indicator of what a great campaign it is. So I think it's going to have a great revenue story. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's move into the second hot take section, which is, is there a value to A-B testing? So this question sort of come up in a series of comments and, and, and uh, tweets from Carrie Saarinen the CEO of Linear, and he said uh, first in an interview that they never do A-B tests. We don't do A-B tests. We validate ideas and assumptions that are driven by taste and opinions rather than the other way around where tests drive decisions. And he sort of clarified it later. The main problem is that A-B tests are almost always driven by internal incentives versus user needs. So I kind of think he's... He said what we've all known and felt for a long while, that sometimes uh, an A-B test can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But Lauren, what are you thinking? Because I know you've spent some quality time on the A-B testing train in your career. Many a moon. I'm looking at the linear site and thinking about the stuff that I'd suggest to him to A-B test. But no, I can appreciate that um, there's a confirmation bias inherent sometimes or, or a people-pleasing component to uh, you know, having two stakeholders arguing over, you know, it should be green, it should be blue, and okay, let's just split test and get this over with, right? But um, conversion optimization, uh, to abandon it full stop to, to say that, oh, it's ego, we're not going to do that, is discounting the science yeah. and discounting the right of the users to vote with their clicks and their feet, so to speak. Like, you're not going to delight um, your, your site visitors if you're not willing to update, refresh, and continually enhance their experience. So yeah. I, I'm going to agree to disagree here with, uh, with that take. I think what he's touched upon is a very narrow part of the experience or maybe his his experience, but not necessarily, I'm going to say the science into going beyond your gut and assuming with that what your gut is telling you is, is what's going to perform best. So I'm... I'm with you on this one that I, yeah. I don't think that it's an ego-driven approach, that it's, it's kind of a, 
a science behind optimization. And why yeah. wouldn't you want to do that? It's hypothesis. It's just like the scientific method. You have a hypothesis and you put it through its its paces to test it to see if it's valid or not. And I, I've spent um, a few years doing nothing but optimization tests on direct response websites. And my uh, COO and I desperately wanted other colors to convert better than, you know, Microsoft Reflex Blue. We really, really wanted some variety in our day. But, you know, lo and behold, it was, we were hard pressed to get any other palette to really drive, you know, that Zoom or, you know, uh, Safari Blue is that color for a reason. But that doesn't mean to say that, um, you know, demographically, uh, that couldn't be a different um a different outcome for other demographics outside of tech or, you know, um, it's, it's always worth a test, I think is more my mantra than it's never worth a test. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was uh, a thought provoking statement and, uh, we, we're not sure we're going to validate it. That's for sure. Yeah. But let's move on. And I feel like this episode has just flown by today, but Me too. Yeah, um, it's a fun in- one. Yeah, into our pairings uh, section. And this week, we have uh, a singer that I love. Uh, his name is Father John Misty. Oh, goodness. And How cool. his latest album is uh, Chloe in the Next 20th Century. Now, he is quite the character. And, uh, but he's put out this beautiful blue vinyl um, album, uh, double album. I, I, I'm, I'm, it, it seems like you know who I'm talking about with Father John, and he has a voice that's kind of stolen the DNA of a crooner from the '60s. I kind of uh, feel, and uh, and he has a great voice. And funny enough, his career started as a drummer for the Fleet Foxes. But to be fair, everyone in Fleet Foxes sings, so including the drummer. So that's um, where 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 his roots are, but. Now he's put out, I'm going to say, four or five LPs since that time. Our track this week is, fittingly, Q4. And so a lot of his songs are just well done. really statements on, on life and business. And uh, he definitely is a philosopher uh, and a poet at the same time. So uh, Q4 is a, is a great song. And now that we're one month in and have two to go, I thought that was the perfect track for this episode of Launch Codes. Now, what are we pairing Father John Misty with this week? I feel like he would approve. Um, we've got some Honey Dominican Republic coffee uh, from Savaya. Savaya is um, family-owned here in Tucson. What's interesting about this particular uh, coffee shop, the founder, when he moved to Tucson, his family had been in business roasting coffee since the 1500s. What? Yeah, they can trace back uh, European roots of of coffee roasting to the 1500s for this particular family. So. It, it, it was a, the first coffee shop that um, happened to be located right by the school my kids go to and the, the little apartment complex that we rented in when we moved to Tucson. So it's a, an adorable little um, space that we spent a lot of time in. So lots of good memories. It's a, a graham cracker, milk chocolate, and honey, which I think sounds a little decadent and wow. like a, a perfect fit for uh, Father John Misty, I think. Sounds almost like s'moreish for breakfast. 
but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not too heavy handed, but you can get all those notes very easily. <laughs> Delicious. Well, thanks, Lauren. Sounds, yeah. I feel like we're going to have to create some kind of trade, U.S. trade, uh, Canada trade uh, treaty here to allow us to have the flow of some of this coffee up through the border so I can have it on um, some of the mornings that we do launch goes. But that sounds thanks. nice. I know it is the one thing that will get your suitcase searched. Like I always <laughs> bring coffee home. And yeah. they all, they've always told me that if you travel with coffee, it looks suspicious and they'll always pull your bag. So I think that's from uh, the old Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills cop. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> everything in the coffee cases. So that's maybe right. people going back think that they're going to throw off the scent of the dogs that way. But um, Mine's just coffee. It's not that exciting. <laughs> it just makes for a delay for the poor people behind me. But oh well. Yeah. Buddy. Well, thank you, Lauren. And thanks to everyone for listening to this week's version of Launch Codes. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn or by joining our newsletter using the link in the description. And as always, thanks, Mom, for watching. Have a great week, everyone. Take care, everybody.